Hello and welcome to Digital Nomad Girl. So thank you for joining us again. And today I have the honor and absolute privilege to introduce you to Mahendra Shah, who is a truly big thinker, action taker, an incredibly insightful and compassionate man whose work in global change has already positively affected the lives of many, both personally and from afar. Mahendra Shah is the founder and president of Zen Resort Bali, a holistic wellness resort whose mission is to confront and heal ailments and diseases of the 21st century lifestyle. Before this, he was a senior scientist for YASA and spent 30 years in the United Nations and World Bank working on global climate change and sustainable development. Mahendra also wrote Agenda 21, describing our Earth's climate change and agricultural vulnerability, urging the UN to focus their efforts and negotiations towards achieving environmental sustainability. Before this, he was a director of the UN office in New York, where he mobilized efforts and $4.5 billion for emergency relief during the 1984 African famine. His mission now is to help humans become sustainable because without sustainable humans, we cannot have a sustainable earth. So Mahendra, thank you so much for being here and for having me at Zen Resort. Well, thank you very much. Uh, let me begin by saying a little bit about myself. I was born in Kenya, Nairobi, of Indian parents. So in a way, I have Indian heritage. African upbringing growing up in Kenya until the age of 18, European education in England, and I have worked in the international arena in almost seven countries for about 30 years. So that should make me an international citizen. Unfortunately, our world is not ready for international citizenship. So my career uh, has been in the area of humanitarian work, uh, the African famine, in terms of rehabilitation and reconstruction of a country that it destroyed Afghanistan, in terms of the challenge of sustainable development globally, Agenda 21, the Rio Earth Summit, in terms of climate change and food security across the world, in terms of Johannesburg, where we presented a report, and also the challenge of food security and biofuels, which was a special report that we prepared for the OPEC fund. In 2002, I came to a conference in Bali, uh, in Nusa Dua. This was a preparatory conference for the Johannesburg World Summit in 2002, where I was going to present a report on climate change and agriculture and vulnerability and what will happen to the world's food system because of climate change. I was sitting on the beach in Nusadua with my son who was accompanying me, and it hit me that I had spent 35 years working on sustainable development, and I suddenly realized that the world can never be sustainable because human beings are not sustainable. Why are human beings not sustainable? First, food is your medicine. Your medicine is food. We do not know how to eat. What do you mean we do not know how to eat? Well, in the old days, we would sit as a family 
and eat and laugh and joke while the saliva flew and we chewed. Today we don't chew, we are eating on the run. There is no time for digestion with the saliva. The food we need is also not available because food is pesticides produced, fertilizer produced, healthy, organic. Take one example, we used to have 10,000 varieties of seed for wheat in this world. Today we have 400. Genetic manipulation has reduced 10,000 to 400. And no wonder we are allergies of gluten and all kinds of wheat allergies are there. So the food we need is not easily available, nutritionally balanced, and we don't seem to have time to prepare and eat in a healthy manner. Secondly, exercise. Exercise does not mean going to the gym or jogging. Exercise must be physically, psychologically, and spiritually balanced. Most people do not do this balanced exercise. We do not have adequate time. We have stress at home. Your children didn't get into the right school and you worry about their future. The plumber didn't come on time, there's stress. The carpet has been spoiled, there's stress. So there is stress at home. There is stress in the office. We live in a very competitive world. Unfortunately, in the workplace, there seems to be an attitude of one to show the other is less and move upwards. So they stress at home, they stress in the office, and we live in a polluted world. This is a, on one hand, the five elements, the food, the exercise, the stress at home, the stress in the office, and pollution. Sorry, can you say that part again? Sorry? Can you say that part again? Okay. Human beings are not sustainable. They are not sustainable because we don't know how to eat and we don't know what to eat. How to eat is we need to be eating socially, chewing our food, letting the saliva flow. Instead, we are grabbing a sandwich on the run. And that's why we have all these allergies and digestion problems. The food that we need, healthy food, nutritionally balanced, is not available. Take an example of wheat. There used to be 10,000 varieties of seed in the world. Today we are working with just 400 seeds. This genetic manipulation and narrowing down of the seed bank has resulted in allergies, and we are working to produce more calories and forgetting about all the trace elements and everything else we need. Exercise is very important, but exercise going to the gym or going jogging is not enough. Exercise must be physically, mentally, and spiritually balanced. We have stress at home. The child didn't get into the good school we wanted. The carpet has been damaged. The plumber didn't come. All of this is stress and worry. We have stress in the office. It's a highly competitive world where the only thing that matters is how can one shine at the expense of many. And we live in a polluted world. This cocktail of five elements is called modern lifestyles. And it, it is amazing that the whole world is on this train, want to get on the train of modern lifestyles. We, humanity, is at a very defining moment in life. 
human health is being put at risk, the pollution and the environment degradation is on the horizon. It's, it's happening in many places. This combination of human health and the environmental destruction and degradation. Can, we, can I just tell them to stop? Uh, sure. Sorry. Stress is fine. So humanity is at a... Humanity... Are we ready? Yes. Humanity has reached a defining moment in time. Human health is at risk from all these parameters I just mentioned, and the destruction and degradation of nature is another threat. Destruction, degradation of nature will give rise to new diseases and new ailments, and our health will be further exacerbated. It is not only the human beings that reside on this planet. We are interdependent with all other species, and there are millions of other species. If the termites die, if the termite population of the world is eliminated, we will not survive, because they toil the soil which produces the food we need. So this defining moment, and the situation is getting worse and worse because of the adoption of modern lifestyles. So the greatest challenge in the world of human health is the increasing diabetes, blood pressure and cardiac diseases, mental stress. And also from the environment, we have carcinogens, which is causing cancer and many other chronic diseases. For all of this, modern medicine does not have the means because the dimension of the problem that's emerging where half the world population may be obese in the next 30, 40 years, is amazingly large. We also do not have the cure for cancer or the cure for diabetes or the cure for blood pressure. We are facing a very serious situation and governments, scientists, and the pharmaceutical industry, we need to start paying attention as to what are the options. But for 5,000 years, or in fact, beginning of mankind, humankind, grandmothers have handed down from generation to generation things that have been practically tried. What do you do when you have a headache? A grandmother obviously will tell you, go and sit under the tree and breathe. So there is a whole school of traditional medicine. The two biggest school of traditional medicine are Ayurveda from India and TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. Ayurveda is a little bit more comprehensive because it has Ayurveda, the therapies, yoga, meditation, pranayama, the breathing, herbal medicine, meditation, music, etc. This is a fairly comprehensive system. China, of course, has Tai Chi, Reiki, acupuncture, and an excellent Chinese traditional medicine, the herbal side. But let us not forget that every grandmother in every village across the world has knowledge and nobody has collected the knowledge of grandmothers. We must collect this knowledge because every grandmother that dies 
takes knowledge with her. The Sami people in the richest part of the world in Scandinavia, we have never found out what are the secrets of traditional medicine that the Samis hold. We have never talked to the Aborigines in Australia to collect the information they carry, which is over thousands of years. So it is time that we take a serious look at traditional medicine. Now, modern medicine is the best we have. Yes, we need clinical trials. You don't have clinical trials, you cannot prescribe a drug. But clinical trials done with a million people successfully are given to a billion people. And one needs to question the statistical justification for that. In the same way, you go to a traditional medician, an Ayurveda practitioner in India, and he takes a look in your eyes and said, I think you're going to have cancer. Take these leaves. There's no basis for this. So we have arrogance in modern medicine and we have arrogance in traditional medicine. And neither is talking to each other. The greatest challenge is to put these two schools together and say, please find a solution to the challenges of modern lifestyles. The oath of Hippocrates, modern medicine, is you should serve a human being as a wholesome unit and also not charge this human being for the treatment. It's identical in Ayurveda, the oath of Ayurveda. And yet the industry has become dictated by economics. So, when I realized that human beings are not sustainable, I thought, well, what do I need to do? Modern lifestyles, these are the challenges of modern lifestyles. The most important thing is people who live modern lifestyles have four to six weeks holiday a year. They do not have more time. Nobody wants to go to clinic. I went to India to many resorts and they all tended to be clinical. Please come to the resort, we'll clean you out and you can go home in three weeks totally clean and start your same lifestyle again. That didn't solve the problem. When you go on holiday and you have only four to six weeks, the first thing you need is happiness. You need to be happy because you are going back to a stressful life again for 48 weeks. So you need to take care of your health and your happiness. So health has to be delivered in a gentle, loving way, but it must technically be effective. And at the same time, you need recreation. Recreation to ride a bicycle, to swim, to go snorkeling, to go walking. That gives you the happiness. And this is the combination we need. And I looked around, I visited India for possibilities to make a resort. And in the final analysis, it turned out that there, is, there were two places that came to my mind. One was Hawaii, and the other was Fiji, and the third place was Bali. Hawaii has changed rapidly and with the advent of uh, being part of the most developed nation in the world, uh, society has changed. And in the end, it was Bali that was the ideal location, small island and serene and with the culture, the traditions of the Balinese. So I chose Bali and we decided to locate in the north of Bali, which is still a very serene, unspoiled environment. Uh, in comparison to the southern parts of Bali, as well as Ubud, which very much is the center of yoga. They've become congested and polluted. So what we have, the resort is located in a very beautiful location. It's on a hill 
overlooking the Sea of Bali, surrounded 270 degrees by the ocean. On the right-hand side, there are the hills where the sun rises. In front of the resort is rice fields, vineyards, and uh, natural forest. We have landscaping gardens, which are done from the heart by the Balinese, so it's not your typical country, English country garden. There's a lot of birds, bees, because of the forest be below us. So this serene location, you have serene locations in Austria and Switzerland and in California and in Oregon, but it is hard to find a location where rice fields and vineyards will be right in front of your eye. And the rice fields are very, very uh, calming when you see the greenness of it. So we chose Bali and I decided at the outset that we wanted to develop a resort that would give the best experience, the best treatments, happiness, and exposure to culture, etc. So typically what happens, a resort, a guest arrives at the resort, and what is the experience they can expect? We have a system that I'll come to in a moment, but the overall aim is that within two to three days of the stay in a resort, now, most people come to the resort for packages which extend from three nights to five nights to seven nights to 21 nights to 28 nights. You can have a package for relaxation, a package for rejuvenation, a package for purification, a package for slimming, a package for stress release, or for total wellness. Typically, for all people who come, it takes two days to find personal harmony within yourself because of the yoga, the meditation, the breathing, the exercises you do, the treatments that you receive, the food that you eat. We have designed all of this in a way that our goal is that within two days you have personal harmony. In the next two days, when you sit outside your room or by the pool or in the sanctuary, you realize the beauty of nature all around, and that gives you harmony with the environment. When you have personal harmony and environment, natural harmony with nature, then on top of this, you are smiling at the staff, the guests that then tend to bond together and eat on the same table. And suddenly you have human harmony. And our guests on any typical evening on the table will be 15 people on the table from 10 or 12 countries around the world. So there's great diversity. So you have personal harmony, you have environmental harmony and you have human harmony. When you have these three harmonies and you go to bed on the fourth or fifth night and put your head on the pillow, logic, and you are feeling beautiful about yourself, beautiful about the world, and beautiful about the people of this world. That's the time of logic arises from your heart and your soul and your mind and ask the question, where have I been? What am I dealing with? So that lays the foundation for challenging the modern lifestyle, what it's doing to oneself, and we begin to go into this whole arena that when you stay, the average stay is 10 days, that these 10 days is enough to rejuvenate, get your health, find your happiness, and return to the toil of modern lifestyles. Wow. Amazing. And I've been experiencing it myself. It has only been not even a full three days and it feels like I've 
been here a week or two, especially what you were saying about just feeling so at home and connecting with everyone and connecting to the environment and just feeling the presence and peace. I almost feel like there is no outside world. It's, it's, it is complete and it, that definitely is what makes Zen unique. Um, so thank you for explaining all that and going through this. Um, but can you also tell me about the treatments that you offer here? Because those I feel are completely different from a lot of the treatments I've seen offered at any resort. And why have you chosen these specifically to be a part of Zen's unique mission? Well, we looked at uh, what are the holistic therapies available in the world. So we have all countries have various types of therapies. We have Ayurveda, which is the lead one from India. We have acupuncture, Reiki, and Tai Chi from China. We also have Indonesian treatments and Balinese treatments. We have Swedish massage. So there's a whole, we have uh, Siatsu from Japan. So we looked at all this combination and we came up with a package combining some of them, including Thai massage. But what is different is that we wanted to create our wellness center, our spa, as a temple. Because the most important thing to receive and benefit from a treatment is you need to be in a totally relaxed, calm, serene way. And that was critical. So we are perhaps unique in the world that when you enter the spa, you have a foot bath with flowers, and this is followed by you enter into the spa. The therapist makes you sit on the bed, and before any treatment starts, there is a mantra in Sanskrit. The therapist is singing in Sanskrit. She's asking for nature, not God. She's asking for nature to give her the power and the energy such that the guest, the client, can benefit from this energy and her knowledge to deliver this. Yeah. So this therapist in front is singing the mantra. There are two therapists behind the guest, and this surround sound like a Buddhist temple literally hypnotizes the guest. I felt that. I felt like I went into a trance, and when they stopped, I, I opened my eyes and felt, oh, right, I'm still here. It, you really do go into that. Place. Well, actually what was happening, if you, when you are again in the spa today or tomorrow, please ask yourself what is happening when the prayer stops. In principle, what you should be deciding and telling yourself is to tell the therapist, please take my body, my mind and my soul. Please take it all, but heal me. Yeah. Because that's literally the unconsciousness that comes. And this creates is no longer a massage. It is a healing therapy. Yes. That they touch your, if your hand is relaxed and you touch the fingers, you can feel the shoulder. If the hand is stiff, you cannot. So this begins, and now we have more than 30 treatments. Each treatment is targeted to a specific issue. So we do whole kinds of treatments. And at the outset, when a guest arrives, we have first a Ayurvedic assessment, we 
work out the, well, the lifestyle of this person, the fitness level, the ailments they have, their doshas and their constitution. This comprehensive analysis, which is also interesting, in normally in India, this dosha assessment and wellness consultation is done by a doctor. In Zen, we have not only the doctor doing the assessment, we also have a spa therapist present and we also have a yoga teacher present because we believe that the spa treatment must be integrated with the yoga ex, uh, treatment and it must also be integrated with the dosha and the constitution and your food. So this assessment is used to modify some of the treatments. So our goal is that day one, we want to make this package totally individual and personalized. Definitely. I have, I've experienced that and I've seen it and it really is so amazing because for example, the, the woman who did uh, my chakra opening massage today, which was so powerful and she had so much insight and in my chakras is also the yoga teacher. So it truly is holistic every step of the way everyone is getting a comprehensive overview of what you need and can give you suggestions and you offer, of course, tailoring to the package. Well, let, let me give you one example, uh, yoga. Uh, three years ago, uh, the Prime Minister of India took the initiative to ask the United Nations to declare 21st of June as an International Day of Yoga. So in the last three years, on the 21st of June, people around the world, and some estimates say a few hundred million are doing yoga on that morning. Just in Times Square, New York, 30,000 people sit down to do yoga. They do yoga, which has become an exercise, which has become asanas. Uh, we have hot yoga, we have masala yoga, we have ashtanga yoga, sweaty yoga in high temperature. But yoga, by definition, yes, it's about asanas and calming yourself, but yoga is also consciousness. Exactly. And we need to now have a second international day for yoga consciousness. What do I do if I take that step to the person next to me? What do I do if I cut that tree? What are the consequences? So we need to be aware of that. And at then we are, in our yoga that we do, we are trying to introduce this element of consciousness explicitly for our surroundings. Mm. Beautiful. So going back to the treatments a little bit, can you tell me um, which are your favorite or which you feel have been the most transformational for guests? I think the open chakra which you had today. Uh, there are seven chakras in your body and because of whatever has happened in your life, for example, uh, you had a relationship that wasn't going well and it broke. Then there's a lot of sadness in one's heart. Also passing away of a grandmother, whatever the issue is, there's sadness in the heart. And the reaction of the human body when you have a lot of sadness deep in your heart is to strengthen the muscles and to protect you, the heart tends to close down. 
with more sadness, more and more sadness, you can reach a point where the consciousness of the heart is constrained. The same with your mind, that when you have a lot of pressures and stress, you reach a point where you are in the place, but you're not in the moment. So it is very important that the treatment itself is open chakra, open your chakra, and one should always have it done. And then there are ways and means to relax because the whole point of a heart muscles that have tightened is to relax those muscles, to bring you back to your original state. And that's what we do with open chakra. The mother of all the massages is the abhyanga oil. All our treatments are given by two therapists working in harmony. It is important that the energy on the right side and the left side of your body is in harmony moved up because it's no point to give you a massage on the right and then go over to the left. We need to move you in harmony. And a Bhyanga massage, there is another massage called Marmar, which is an energy massage that uh, energizes and opens up the energy points which have closed down. Mm. So every massage is targeted for weight loss. We have a powder massage where we use green gram powder to rub on your body to remove the toxins. So there is a whole series of 30 to 35 massages that are targeted. Wow. for relaxation, for stress release, for slimming, uh, for rejuvenation. And we add to this purification. Now purification, you can go for extreme panchakarma or a lot of the colon hydrotherapy and other things. We believe that instead of drastic detoxing, we need to do gentle detoxing. Hmm. Because you are at this resort for two weeks, maybe three weeks at maximum. This is not a clinic. You need your happiness and you don't need to be pressured to clean you out thoroughly, which is what some resorts do. We believe in the middle road to show you lifestyle change. So we give you a juice detox for two days, maybe two days of soft food detox, maybe two days of ghee, panchakarma detox. And in this combination, we try to keep you in your lifestyle and your happiness. And it's important in this context that food is our passion. We cannot all become strictly vegan or strictly raw food. Yes, we cannot become strictly vegan or strictly raw food or strict to this very meat diet and whatever. Food is our passion. I do love how <laughs> you incorporate that because it is a little hard sometimes for someone to say, you can't have this, you can't have that, especially when it comes to Ayurveda because it's so there's so much information and there's a lot of things that you have to cut out. And I love that you have the, uh, the herbal blends that you can add to your food and even when the doctor and the therapist give you your dosha, they explain to you, these are our guidelines. You don't have to take it incredibly strict. You don't have to be a complete purist because we understand that food is a part of happiness, that is a part of life, it is a passion. And also you have the herbal blends right here in the dining room area for balancing your, your doshas. So you do a great job of not limiting people, but just compassionately understanding people and giving them tools for wellness. 
Well, you know, your assessment, I was looking at your assessment, is what are Pita? Yes. Pita is f fire, in a sense. And one of the recommendations of the original text of Ayurveda on what food you should eat and avoid and eat in moderation, one of those is you should not eat tomatoes. Now, you live in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, you probably eat at least 30-40% of your time in a restaurant. Definitely. <laughs> and Italian food is always high on the list. Well, please try going to an Italian restaurant and tell the waiter, please do not put any tomatoes in my food. I don't think they will appreciate you. Mm -hmm. So, food in the recommendations we give, while they are derived from ancient principles, but remember the tomato of 5,000 years ago is very different to the tomato today. Definitely. And we have not taken that changes into account. Right. But ideally, what you should do is keep this in your file at home, and when you cook, instead of putting six tomatoes in your cooking, please put two. So do not throw the guidelines away. But the powders that we have developed will gently, we have a pita powder, we have a water powder, and we have a kapha powder that will gently balance you. Remember, you can never best balance your dosha ever again because the balance between the three doshas, the pita, the vata, and the kapha, depends on what you eat, what you think, where you live, and what do you do. These are very complex equations. And so the balance perfectly cannot come back. But the idea of the powders is gently every day at lunch and dinner, you can add this to your food and bring you into a little bit of balance. So if your pita is high, add the pita powder and it will bring the pita down gently. And over a period of year, you should begin to find balance and harmony. Amazing. And you offer these... Uh, what is in the blends so that people can then take them back home and incorporate to th them in their lives as well. That is our whole philosophy at Zen Resort, that we want to give you the recipes of the food, we want to give you the recipe of the yoga, how we do it like Zen Chi, and we certainly give you the recipe of the powders. And no matter which city you are in the world, any health food store or any Indian store, you will find all the ingredients. So you make this powder and keep it in the fridge for four to six weeks. And when that's over, make another blender. Amazing. And by the way, the herbal blends for people who are listening, they are absolutely delicious. I have been using mine just for extra spice and flavor because it is that delicious. It doesn't feel like, oh, I have to eat these powders because the doctor says it they truly are very good. They're not medicinal. They're delicious. <laughs> They're delicious. Um, so I liked how you mentioned that a lot of the things that you want people to experience here, you want them to take back home with them. Uh, with that being said, can you explain the morning sunrise meditation? Yes, we have a sunrise meditation at uh, 6 o'clock, 6 to 7 in the morning in our sanctuary which faces the forest, rice fields, vineyards, and the ocean, and a hill where the sun rises. It's a very beautiful location. So when you go there at six o'clock, you hear different groups of birds waking up. There are a lot of sound. The sun comes up around 6.15, and the session starts at six o'clock. 
Now it's called sunrise meditation. And a lot of the guests who come, they expect to sit down immediately and go into meditation pause. Well, that's not what we do. We have, we spend the first 27 minutes in the sunrise meditation doing Zen Chi. What is Zen Chi? The first, it comprises of three parts. The first nine minutes, you have just come out of your bed, you arrive at the sanctuary for your sunrise meditation. The first nine minutes, start moving your head, move your neck, move your shoulders, move your arms, move your elbows, move your hips, move your knees, and right up to the ankle. This relaxation exercise, it's exercise, it's not meditation, is to begin to move, pump the blood around your body. So nine minutes are spent, the last minute is strenuous, but it is to move the blood rapidly around your system, having come from a night of sleep. And that's with the breath work that you do? No, that is the first part. Okay. The pure exercise, so to say, to move the blood fast. The next nine minutes is breath work, pranayama. And there what happens is you we teach you the technique. You know, a baby, watch a baby that's two weeks old and you will see the stomach go up and down, up and down. We are shallow breathers mm -hmm. and everyone needs to learn to breathe. So the next nine minutes is pure pranayama, how to breathe deep, hold it, breathe out slowly, wait and breathe again. So when you have breathed in and you hold it, it gives maximum interaction between the blood that's flowing and the oxygen that's in the air, in the lungs. Hmm. So the oxygen goes in and the toxins come out. So you do that for the next nine minutes in the breath work. And then the last nine minutes is to sit down in pure meditation, listen to your heart, listen to your lungs, and see the pumping. And over time... Sorry, one more. So the next... The next nine minutes is listen to your heart, listen to your lungs in pure meditation. And one day with practice, you should actually be able to hear the blood gushing out of your heart. Wow. So this 27 minutes, you must do at sunrise. And we urge guests to do it. At the end of the stay, we give them a booklet with pictures and every step of this 27 minute exercise, mm, perfect. which they are supposed to take home. And with the title of the book is Must Do Sunrise Exercises. <laughs> the amazing things from the experiences of the last 10 years is from the guests who write to us, that they find not only this exercise energizes them and makes them in a good mood in the morning, because this sunrise exercise can be done in the comfort of your bedroom, in your pajamas, exactly, sitting in a chair. And I feel like that's so incredibly important. And I love that you create something that people can do from home. Because one of the hardest things that I find, especially in Los Angeles, is the idea that I have to come out of my apartment, drive through traffic to get to that yoga class or to that meditation class, which is even more ridiculous sometimes. And, you know, it, I feel like they're, you're putting obstacles in front of you 
for something that should be easily done in the morning. And a lot of people don't realize how easy it can be, but when you give them the tools, it, it allows them to incorporate that in their daily life. This sunrise ex exercise or sanchi has to be done at sunrise. So you, I'm sure there are people who said, listen, it's raining, there's no sun up there. The sun is behind the clouds. The mm -hmm. energy of the sun is coming. Mm -hmm. But the most important element of this exercise which energizes you, because after Zanchi, you, in your bedroom, you change, you take your shower, eat your breakfast, eat your orange juice, and you are refreshed. If you went jogging or went to the gym at 6 o'clock, right. then your muscles will ache, and you will be energized and feeling good, but there will be strain in your body. Ah, wow. Whereas with Zanchi, you're purely energized with not a piece of strength. And this puts you in a good mood at work. Mm. Hard jogging or weightlifting in the gym will still be a little bit of stress. But with Zenchi, you will be so relaxed and such a good mood mm -hmm. that the next four to six hours, no matter which colleague comes and shouts at you, you will not absorb the stress. So this is a de-stressing system at the same time. Amazing. And that's the beauty of Zenchi. I love it. Uh, um, so also, can you tell me about Zen diving? I know that's one of the, uh, not treatments, but experiences. It's also a, a treatment, in a sense, that you offer. Yes, we developed the concept of Zen harmony diving. This is still totally unique to Zen Resort after three years. At that time, the thought came one day that what are the three most important things that a human being must do? The first and foremost, apart from your food over which you have control, is to learn to breathe effectively and efficiently. And nobody breathes effectively. We only use 70% of our lungs. Right. So the first thing is to learn to breathe effectively and efficiently. Second is to learn to meditate. Every conflict and stress in this world comes because we don't meditate. If you meditate, somebody comes shouting at you. The normal response is somebody shouts, you shout back and the problem escalates. If somebody shouts at you, if you had trained in meditation, he said, what you are saying is so right. Can you give me a day to think about it? and we'll discuss it. Yes. You'll be stressed already. Yes. So, learn to breathe, learn to meditate, and do gentle exercise. So I asked myself, where can I go to learn to breathe, to learn to meditate, and do gentle exercise? I go to the yoga hall. The teacher will help you. Many people find it very hard to learn to meditate on earth, on land, because the birds are singing, people are moving, sounds are there, it's not a quiet environment. And also sometimes it, it can be physically uncomfortable. Correct. Just sitting there. Absolutely, <laughs> especially with the breathing. Also with the breathing, you know, the teacher will tell. It becomes an extra burden that morning to go to the yoga hall to learn. Mm -hmm. So I ask myself the question, and I want to teach, very important, I want to teach children of eight years and seven years and 10 years mm. to learn to meditate, to learn to breathe. Can you imagine talking to a seven-year-old and say, you need to learn to breathe. You need to 
meditate. How can you explain meditation to a six-year-old? Well, I can't. So where can I go when I don't, whether I'm an adult or a child? Where can I go when I don't want to know what is meditation? I don't want to know what is effective breathing. Mm. Please don't try to teach me. Got it. And I want to go somewhere where I don't want to do any exercise. <laughs> and it was amazing that the realization that 70% of our world is water. We are 70% water. Life on Earth began with a drop of water. We spend nine months of our life in a water body, in the womb. Water is critical. Yes. And if you go underwater, automatically you try to breathe deep and slow mm -hmm. because you preserve your breath. Right. And when you watch the floor, if you're going snorkeling or even in a swimming pool, just looking at the tides below put you in pure meditation mode. Definitely. And you're swimming, that's gentle exercise. So this was possible, especially five years ago when we invented the anomaly, because an Italian company invented a snorkeling mask and a diving mask where you breathe through the nose. Oh, wow, did they? When you breathe through your mouth, you cannot breathe deep and effectively. It is only through the nose. You try to breathe, take a deep breath with your mouth. It is impossible. So the Italians have discovered this mask which fits on your face, mm. and the air comes inside the face, and you choose to breathe through the nose or the mouth. Wow. And that is a powerful, powerful entry point into Zen Harmony Diving. So you use those specifically? Yes. yes. I didn't even know that that existed. You will be doing this when you do Zen Su tomorrow. Oh, wow. You will experience the mask, the oh, second part. Amazing. Now, what is Zen Harmony Diving? The two biggest problems in the world is human health and pollution of this world. Mm -hmm. Human health can be amazingly improved if you learn to breathe, meditate, and do gentle exercise. Therefore, go diving. Pollution in the world, 70%, 80% of our pollution, waste on land, is being dumped in the ocean. It is expected that in 2050, which is 30 years from now, there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish in the ocean. We are undermining a resource that we don't even know. Mm -hmm. The moon is 360,000 kilometers away. Men and women have been to the moon and back. Nobody has been to the bottom of the ocean. And it's only 15 kilometers. Right. The secrets of our survival of all species on Earth is probably hidden somewhere in that ocean, including wow. treatment of cancer. So Zen Harmony Diving, wow. the whole purpose of developing it is to tell people you must go diving. Now, people need a selfish reason when you tell them to go dive. Please, if it's selfish, they'll do it. So you say, you go diving and improve your health. So why do you want more people to go diving? Where 60 million people in the world, approximately, go diving and snorkeling. Three billion people live on the coastal areas of this world. Mm -hmm. We need more ambassadors of the ocean reporting on what's the pollution below. So you need to increase the number of divers. And what better way to increase by telling them, be selfish, go diving <laughs> for your health. 
and discover the beautiful world and report on the horrible pollution that's going on. You know, in this century, we had only one Jacques Cousteau who spoke, who was the voice of the ocean. We need today hundreds of millions of people to start speaking. Then our governments, scientists, and waste disposals will pay attention. And the threshold may be not be too far. By 2050, we'll be drinking one trillion bottles of water bottles every day. Where are we going? That's insane. Annually, there'll be one trillion bottles drunk. And the plastic is wasted. And last week, we heard from scientists that a plastic bottle exposed to sunlight in water gives out methane and ethylene, which is responsible for climate change. So then harmony diving is the key to human health, pollution, and saving the marine world, which covers two-thirds of our world. We have responsibility for that. And the ocean is so deep, we don't see what's happening below. Right. Out of sight, out of mind. But Unfortunately. It's, it's, it's in turmoil. Wow. Well, thank you for creating that. And I hope this is something that is adopted by the world very soon. Um, so you have told me some miraculous stories and experiences that the visitors, some visitors of Zen have had. Can you share some of those with our listeners? Well, over the last uh, 14 years, we had, uh, from 2004, a tsunami evicted at Zen Resort. She was actually in a hotel in Thailand mm. when the tsunami struck. She was with her parents and living in a hotel. Her parents and her sister or brother were there. There were four of them. And they were on the beach and suddenly the beach, the water went away. And they realized that, well, the tide is going out. Let's go and have breakfast. So they went to the hotel and they were sitting in the hotel and the waiters said, it's not breakfast time here, but please sit in this area. And then the tsunami stuck and three quarters of the hotel was gone. Where they were sitting, the building stood. Wow. So she had the trauma of having to spend a week before rescue came. Mm. Anyway, she came here and she went through the whole process. And it was amazing to see the transformation in her, in our healing tree. I will explain to you what happened in a healing tree in a moment. Let me give you another physical example. Uh, there was a lady from Holland who was a dancer, a ballet dancer. And she woke up one day at the age of 30 and her, one of her left leg, the ankle, became an elephant foot. And she happened to be a sister of someone who is associated with our resort. So her sister invited her to come to Zen just to have a relaxing time. Well, it took two weeks of the spa giving her gentle massage, based bandages and so on. And two weeks later, from one day to the other, her elephant foot started to shrink. 
and the last day of her day here, she put on her dancing shoes. This lady returned to Holland and she went to the doctors in Switzerland. She had consulted the doctors in Germany. She had consulted those in Holland. She had consulted and said, what happened that in two and a half weeks, somebody was able to do this with herbal medicine and the doctors could not believe it, which actually reminds me of the Vietnam War where a helicopter had crashed. Uh, this story was out in 75 or so from the Vietnam War. Uh, one of the soldiers was injured, he lost his arm, and they were waiting for rescue, and then a week later the gangrene set in, mm. in his arm. Wow. And they called for emergency aid, but it couldn't get through. Out of the forest came a lady, looked at this arm, disappeared, came back again, with some paste and put the paste in. Two days later, the gangrene was gone. The US Army spent months and months looking for this woman. They never found her. Wow. So there are natural medicines out there yes. that can do this healing. So this is an example of two of them. Let me give you another example of uh, one of the treatments we do, which is Zensu. Sensu is a treatment in, in the water, in the swimming pool. It's a treatment to send you back into the womb of your mom. You know, many people, if you, if you do research, you find many people have written stories of the journey of deaths. They are on the surgeon's table, they are pronounced dead. 20 minutes later, they are revived, and they've written stories of how the lights were flashing at the gates of heaven, and how St. Peter was waiting, etc. These are published articles. Right. Nobody has written. experiences. Yeah. Nobody has written a single article on the first nine months in the womb. Hmm. And the baby is alive when the cells germinate together. So we came up with Zensu where you are put on your back, a therapist is in the middle, head at one end, feet at the other, therapist, and she rocks you at the frequency of the womb. It takes five minutes and you go into a fetus position. And the therapist slips away and goes between your legs and holds you from your back, lower back, and continues to rock you for 25 minutes in water. She can lift, therapists can lift no matter how heavy you are, you're in water. So this treatment, 85% of the people have the most relaxing 25 minutes of their whole life, probably 80%. 10% of the people see flashing light and blue color and purple color and green color and yellow color and bright light, which is actually the journey out of the womb, mm. these flashes of light. Uh, the blood is the first exit from, the, from beginning the journey down the pipe. The second is the purple with the stress of the mom, the blood becomes purple. And then the okay. sunlight is if you are born in the morning, uh, bright light is if you are born at night. So we don't have the scientific evidence, but this is how our uh, verbal analysis with the guest indicates. So when you have the last 10% actually have a rebirth. And I give you just one example. We had a lady from Estonia here. Uh, this lady at the age of 
1890, met a Swedish boy and she wanted to marry him. And her father, she was the only daughter, and the father from Estonia said, no, you cannot marry him. I don't want to lose you. If you marry him, it's over. You're not my daughter. Wow. She went ahead and married this young man. She became very famous in her new country. She came here at the age of 38. And I consulted emotional well-being with her. And she was the most bubbly, the most successful literary success, everything in her life. A beautiful lady and really joyful. And in the emotional well-being, she said her greatest regret was for 20 odd years, she hadn't any contact with her parents. So I sent her to our healing tree, I will tell you in a moment, to our sanctuary. And then it hit me that send her to the Zetsu in the swimming pool. And she was in the womb coming out. And as she came out, she saw her mother and father in the maternity room. Her father was dancing in a tuxedo, clapping his hand and welcoming this little princess for whom he had waited since he was born. <laughs> now remember, the baby cannot see anything. The baby cannot hear anything. But she had seen pictures at home of dad holding the newborn baby in a tuxedo. So this image and this story had been created inside her. So as she came out of the womb, the father was so happy and she realized that the same father sent her away. In this moment, the nurse came and said, Madam, I must clean the baby and I'll bring it back right away. And she said, no, please give me my baby. And the nurse, I don't know whether it's regulation, she said, I'm sorry, I have to clean the baby, otherwise you'll spoil your bed and your clothes. So let me clean it. And she said, please, please, I need my baby now. So the nurse handed her the baby. And the first thing she did, the mother did like all mothers do, is to take the baby to the left-hand side, to their bosom, where your heart is. Because you need to align her heart to your heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And then she lifted the baby delicately in front of her and whispered to the baby, you are my Babulinka. She gave this nickname. This lady heard this name in the pool after 20 years. So then Zen Su finished this 20, 30 minutes. She came to me in tears. She cried for two hours. And I just let her cry. And after, I didn't want to say anything. I said, at least everybody loves you. Wow. That's important. Yes. Doesn't matter what happened. And your mom whispered your name. And she said, that's the most beautiful thing. She said, I'm crying because I wanted to hear my name before I die. Okay. I then sent her to our healing tree and the sanctuary, hoping something again would happen, and it didn't. Then, a few day, just two days before she was due to go, I sent her actually to the sanctuary, and she heard her mother in the forest saying, Babulinka, where are you hiding? Three times she heard Babulinka. Wow. Okay. She went away, happy of having heard her name. She wrote to me some five months later or four months later, 
actually she called me and she didn't write, she called me and said, last week my mom and dad came to Sokol, rang my bell and said, Babulinka, we have missed you. Oh Don't ask me how. Just remember how many times you're looking at a telephone and you know it's going to ring from 10,000 miles away. Your best friend is going to be on the, we call it telepathy. The earth is electric, we are electric, it's transmission. The latest study of the ocean seems to suggest that the ocean is one being, it's one brain interconnected. So our earth may be interconnected, one unit mm -hmm. where electric lines are. And when your best friend decides to call you, that message is transmitted through that nature's network straight to your feet and your stomach, your second brain, and you have that gut feeling we call it telepathy. The same here. So this, we don't want to call it a miracle. I just want to call it the healing energy of this earth came to you. This is another example of, of the healing that happens. In, this was in Zensu. Let's now go to the healing tree. When you have spent two to three days in Zen Resort, suddenly you have personal harmony inside you because of the treatments, the meditation, the yoga, etc., the, the food you eat, where you sleep, where you relax by the pool. This beautiful world gives you personal harmony. You begin to feel good about your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. And when you sit on the third day or the fourth day by the pool or outside your room and you watch this world of the ocean, the rice fields, the vineyards, the forest, you suddenly have realized what a beautiful nature environment this is. And then you have environmental harmony. Our guests tend to sit together on the table to eat. Our guests, our, amazingly, the Balinese staff, in Bali there are only five to eight names. First born has Putu, second born, third born, fourth born. You are given the name according to the number by which you were born. We people from all over the world have totally different names. And our staff, from midnight when the guests arrive, next day they know their first name. From the gardeners to everyone, they call everyone by first name. Yes. So the amazing thing is this, this whole feeling of personal harmony, environmental harmony, and people harmony suddenly makes you feel, I am beautiful, the world is beautiful, and the people of this world are beautiful. On any one dinner table at Zen, there are 12 to 14 people sitting, you have no less than 8 to 10 nationalities. This is the diversity that comes here. So when you have these three harmonies, then you are ready to have an emotional well-being consultation. And we give two exercises to the guests after finding out their relationship to their parents, to their siblings, to their colleagues, uh, the health challenges they had in their We take an emotional assessment of how are they feeling in totality. And based on this, we normally give two exercises. One of the exercises is buy a little book and write down in this book. Thank <laughs> you.
one of the exercises we gave is buy a little book and in this book write down the beautiful moments of your life for each moment we need you to write five to seven words let us say grandma said to you when you were 3 years old sara you are the most beautiful girl in the whole world so sara marches off to the kindergarten and tells the teacher please i must tell you something and then sara blows up her story and says to the teacher my grandma is the best in the world she's so kind she's so lovely i love her to bits and my grandma said i am the most beautiful girl in the whole world for a 3 year old the for a 3 year old the world doesn't mean anything for a 3 year old the world doesn't mean anything and to be the most beautiful means nothing but a good teacher will say go and tell all the children so this little girl goes and tells all the children my grandma is the best in the world and the children are upset because their grandma certainly are better and best and then she adds fire uh, pepper to the fire by saying and my grandma said i am the most beautiful girl in the world these children go home and tell their parents and good parents will say be friends with sara she's a good girl next day everybody wants to be close to you and touch you and want to be your friend this is a moment of joy so in this book you will write grandma 3 years most beautiful you know exactly when you read this line what happened somebody else reads this means nothing and you can glance there are 20 lines on a page you have written down the day you graduated your dad put your hand round you and said darling this is the best day of my life and you have graduated these are beautiful moments the first kiss etc on a page you will have 20 lines this is a spectrum of your life maybe stretching over 10 years and this beautiful moments of my life become my distressing book next time you have an argument with a parent a partner or a policeman in the street or a colleague be yourself fight scream swear shout beat them up but then walk away and within the next 36 hours do your exercise let's say on a friday night you had a big argument with a colleague which got out of hand sunday morning within 36 hours wake up do your exercise have your breakfast have your orange juice take your shower put on your best music headphones sit in a comfortable chair and remember that argument of friday night open your book in front of you so compare that argument against a spectrum of your life stretching 10 or 20 years with all kinds of incident it will tell you the stupidity ridiculousness of that argument so you distress monday morning you go to the office the colleague is coming towards you normally you would turn left and right you never want to see that dirty face again but having distress you probably walk up and said maybe we take a coffee together the other person had not distressed they'll be surprised by the stupid lady wanting to make peace but they'll think why not mm-hmm. the important thing is you don't stress you don't accumulate the stress accumulated stress 
like accumulated carbon emissions, which causes climate change, accumulated stress leads to mental illness. So this is another example of the healing tree. And a lot of people, we don't do the healing. It is self-healing by the person, by focusing. No matter what life throws at you, the only person who can heal is yourself. Psychologists and psychiatrists and parents and friends can hold your hand, but they cannot heal you. Yes. The power to heal is within you. And healing you must do, because if you do not heal, if you carry the anger, the stress in you, the chances of your own children inheriting this is very high. Definitely. How many people who are abused, their own children are going to be abused and so on. We have to cut the link to the next generation. So in all these ways, Zen Resort is really a holistic. And we are trying to do... <laughs> yes. And actually, we're doing nothing new. We are only learning from nature. Yes. What, if we keep our eyes open, the solution to every problem of humankind and of all the species and of our earth. The solution is right there in front of you in nature. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I, I, I have found that to be true through doing lots of work myself, but it definitely, people need to be reminded and people need to feel that, that connection to all the things you just explained, to nature, to people, to themselves, to their mind, to their bodies. And you offer all of that. Well, uh, thank you. And I do have just a few last questions. Well, I've been doing this for 14 years and I feel that Zen Resort has created the means and the tools which are highly relevant to our world of not only modern lifestyles and success of modern lifestyles, but also among the poor and the suffering. It is time, my vision, my mission now is to create more Zen resorts around the world. I have been 13 times to Norway. I've been often to India, maybe 50 times. I am looking in every country where we would like to build a Zen resort. I need a local partner with local culture, with local understanding. And we can make a partnership or we can give them the tools and the means to do it. It is not about money. You know, when health is at risk, any person will spend every penny they have. But making the philosophy and the treatments and the mission of Zen Resort available to the majority of the people of this world who are living modern lifestyles. And not only those people, but here at Zen, we take social and corporate responsibility very seriously. We invite school children to Zen Resort and our teachers go out to teach yoga pranayama in the school. We go to residential homes where all people are staying. And for them, the only exercise is sometimes for foreign guests who are in Bali, it's uh, Saturday night, uh, a little dance as somebody plays the piano. 
or Saturday night among the Balinese while they sit around a fire in the residential home is to sing some mantra. We think we should go to the elderly who are not so well and put them in a chair and teach them effective breathing, which will lead to better digestion, which will lead to cheerfulness, which is a critical thing for them, is to give them happiness at this stage in life. And happiness is half the challenge of health. So Zen Resort is ready, we have the tools ready, we are ready to share our harmony diving, our philosophy of adapting the Ayurveda, the yoga, the meditation, so beautifully born out of India and so many other countries in the world to the challenges and the needs of the 21st century. And that is a mission and I hope that many will join us to make this happen. Thank you. Thank you. May I ask you one last question? Please. Okay. So with your background and your understanding of mind, body, soul, spirit, earth, energy, and everything. Um, can you tell me, in your opinion, what you believe is happening right now with the world's climate, whether scientifically or beyond, and also your opinion on Bali's location? And lately, there have been many earthquakes and volcano eruptions. Do you have any insight or anything you'd like to share on that? Well, we live in a world that is alive. The whole earth is alive. And the construction of the earth is such that there is volatility at the heart of the earth. So there are lavas, there are mountains, there is earthquake movements, the plates move, etc. So the nature is always, has always been there. The question is, how have human activities affected the, 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 the system of nature? And one of the examples is, you know, forest fires, volcanoes disrupting, all release global warming and release uh, carbon emissions. Uh, agriculture releases carbon emissions. But what is human activity contributing to it? And you look around the world that the records of the last 100 years or tell us that with increasing population, with some nations producing 50 times another nation per capita in terms of carbon emissions, this cannot go on. And we have seen this particular year the heat storms all over Europe. So climate certainly is changing. We don't need any more scientific evidence. We need to be precautionary. Even if we are wrong and we don't know, let's take the precaution. Because if we don't take the precaution, precautionary principle, we will cause a threshold from which we cannot return. You know, the, uh, the species that are dying out. We cannot bring back species that have become extinct, even though we think we know the DNA molecule and we can do it. So. The world is fractured today, is very much fractured. And it is, you know, sad, 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 sad to see a world which is making, spreading sadness. If you look at certain countries in this world, 
which were built by migrants. Call them economic refugees, call them social refugees, call them what we are. The mightiest nation was built on a nation of refugees. And the same for Europe as another example. We are building borders, we are setting up gates to stop people who are ready to die with their children trying to cross that gate or that wall because of where they're coming from. We have become less humane. In fact, we are still human beings, but we certainly are no longer humane beings. And we need to find this. You know, take a very simple example. I can be walking down New York City with my dog, Fifth Avenue. My dog sees another dog, wants to cross the street and be near that dog. I'm kind. I let him cross with me. And he goes and smells that other dog. They touch each other and we part. I smile at the owner of the other dog and we take our way forward. Can you imagine I'm walking down the same street with my dog and a little girl is excited by my dog and she's so beautiful that I can't resist but put my hand and touch her hair and say, you are so beautiful, I'll be arrested. Where is this world going? That we teach our children, and it is true, you have to be cautious, but we teach our children never smile back at a person who smiles at you. A few weirdos have led us to this. And with climate change, which is destructive everywhere. You know, how long before Miami goes underwater and we have lawsuits in the United States? At the moment, we cannot sue anybody because of climate change, which was caused in the middle of Africa by zero emissions from that nation and caused by the developed world that produced the emission because it's a global phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And so those who have polluted the least pay the highest price. That's it wow. in climate change. Because the emissions of Africa are minute compared to the emissions of the United States or of Europe. Even of China, accumulated emissions, not annual emissions. Today, China produces more annually than any other nation. But cumulative over the last 50 years, it will be some time before China overtakes the developed world's emissions. So this is one area. Species are dying. We are not... We, we think human beings are in power in this world. We are not concerned about the animal world. Most of the bison in the US, the wild bison are gone. We're losing species all over. And we, who knows where in this chain will be the threshold beyond which we, it will be turmoil all the way. So I think we need to start thinking, what is it? Why are there no leaders who stand up? for the ethics, for the moral. Why have we become so money-oriented, so power-oriented? And power, what does power mean? Two people with a gun, one is an extremely poor person, one is an accurate rifleman, on that field facing each other, both have the same power. So we need to respect that scientific power, military power does not make you more powerful than someone who is less powerful. And we need to wake up to the, the question is how? We don't see leadership in the world. 
But when you look at children and you look in their eyes, no matter where the child comes from, how black or how white this child is, they are all the same. They all have the same dreams. And I think the key to the solutions of all the ailments we have in this world lies with the children. Children from the age of four, when they understand, to the age of 20, when their minds are still fresh and unspoiled by the capitalist, the, the world we live in. And that is the generation that is also very qualified with the social media. So we need some trigger to start this moment. And this needs to happen. And everyone in the world, deep inside their heart, believe this. Because every human being is a rational, humane being by birth. But somehow, when we have the microphone and you have that button that you can press, press then you seem to have the power overall. And that's the pity that how can we go on? Our religions cannot help us. Our scientists are not helping us. Why humanity is not waking up? And I think the entry point, our experiences in Zen is, it's amazing when all these people feel so good, they bond. They all become members of a WhatsApp group. Over years and years, they communicate with each other, selling. They are our ambassadors, but much more they form networks of sharing ideas. And when we give the book of Zen Chi on the 27-minute exercise, we tell every guest, we will not give you a hard copy, we will give you a soft email copy. Please share it with all your friends and all your family. Doesn't matter where they are and who they are. So, create hope. And we have to have, have hope for only one reason because we are human, and that makes a difference. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for this honor. Thank you so much, and thank you for coming to Zen. Thank you for sharing with us. I very much appreciate, and uh, I think I talked about the children from the age of 4 to 20. I think influencers like you need to take this message to the world. Not only this message. Your own, your, your writing already shows the humanitarian concern, the concern for the environment. Uh, your blog, etc., already covers this. We need hundreds of you. We need millions of you to report on the ocean. So, congratulations. Uh, I thank you from my heart that for the work you are doing. Person. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Like an old